I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. My guest for today is Jennifer Kriatsalis. She has been on the podcast before, and I am honored to have her on today as we talk about what it's like to be recovered from an eating disorder and now experience long hauler COVID symptoms. It is powerful. It is, it is unbelievable. My heart is with her today and ongoing, and I hope you all get a lot out of this episode. Here we go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am honored beyond words to have our repeat guest, Jennifer Kriatsalis, on the show today. And Jennifer is going to take the courage and the vulnerability to talk about what it is like to have long hauler symptoms from COVID as a recovered person from an eating disorder. Jennifer, welcome to the show. So very much. I, I feel tearful just looking at you and, and starting this conversation. You and I know each other well. I've seen how much this has impacted you. People have heard who you are before in the past because this is not your first rodeo with us, but can you share with the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure, yes. So I am a mother of two daughters. I live outside of Philadelphia. I am a certified yoga therapist and the founder of Yoga for Eating Disorders, which is a virtual school that provides one-on-one -on -one yoga therapy and a variety of other types of programs and groups for individuals um, and their supports, as well as professionals in the eating disorder space. I'm also an author and was really blessed to have my second book come out um, just recently called The Courageous Path to Healing. And I'm kind of in this place of having to get used to also calling myself a individual with long COVID. What, what does that mean to you? And do you get used to saying that? I don't know. <laughs> Um, what I'm realizing it means now having it for over a little over a year and a half, um, is that this is a very life altering and disabling illness. 
and it is a new illness, although it overlaps with many other types of illnesses um, that I'm now aware of because of having gone through going through this. And some days I can claim it, and some days I feel like I'm almost like gaslighting myself. Like, is this real? Is this really happening? Maybe this is just, you know, I just need to snap out of this bad dream kind of thing. Um, so there's a lot of difficulty accepting this reality. I struggle with accepting this reality. I wonder if you feel comfortable telling listeners what the symptoms are that you're struggling with now. And then I do want to ask how you're navigating through it without going back to your eating disorder. There has already been a relapse in your recovery and recovery is fragile for all of us at times. And here is another really big one. So can you describe some of the symptoms? And I also, and I know I'm asking a lot of questions, but I want to talk about how there are so many things in this that must play into when, when I'll say you, I'll use myself when I was in my eating disorder, I'm assuming these symptoms create anxiety, depression, loneliness, isolation, insomnia. And so this is, this, this is, this is close, Jennifer, this is, this is maybe a little too close for comfort. Thank you. That's very validating um, to hear you say those things because they are all very present with me. Um, I'll share, you know, I initially got sick in November of 2020. So this was before vaccines, or at least before the general public had access to vaccines. Um, and I was one of the people who repeatedly had negative tests. <clears throat> Um, and after about six weeks of being very sick, sicker than I have ever been in my entire life, my husband took me to an infectious disease doctor and a pulmonologist. And they ran, well, the infectious disease doctor first ran a variety of tests looking for all kinds of things. Um, because even though he wanted to say COVID, without the positive test, he felt it was appropriate to, to look for a lot of other things. Um, and everything came back normal. Went to the pulmonologist. My breathing was just terrible. Um, a lot of respiratory things going on. Nothing, no lung damage, thank goodness, but, you know, was affected. Um, and the two of them, you know, after seeing me and the way I presented it, they, they strongly felt like this, you know, this had been COVID. And, um, and I was dealing with a long haul situation. And at that point, because it was so early in the pandemic, they only had like six months of data. So they were like, yeah, in about six months, this should be, this should be fine. Um, I mean, that was devastating to hear. I was just going to say, even that in six months, yeah. you'll be fine. Yeah. That, that, it, that in and of itself can be life altering. Let's say that was the truth that it was six months. So I didn't mean to interrupt, but keep going. You're right. You're so right. I mean, I was just left absolutely devastated because no one could say for sure what, how this was going to go. 
what this was going to look like. There was no information, none. Um, there was just articles starting to come out on this idea of long haul. And that's when I learned that you can develop a post-viral syndrome, right? A collection of symptoms as a syndrome. Um, after any virus, strep throat, like the flu. Um, and the more I read about other people's stories, there are people who've spent decades of their life dealing with some type of post-viral syndrome from viruses. And whoever knew about that until now, which is such a, such a sad thing for those individuals, right? So if anybody's listening who can relate, my heart just goes out to you so, so much. Um, so anyway, my symptom set, now let me just say, before I get into that, there are currently over 200 symptoms now reported related to long COVID. And they're starting to recognize these different categories of patients, although it's not clean cut, right? Like there's a lot of crossover, kind of like our eating disorder <laughs> um, diagnoses, right? Um, so my symptom set looks a lot like chronic fatigue syndrome. So I have body aches, brain fog, um, some cognition stuff that shows up now and then. Um, and this absolutely debilitating, crushing fatigue. And fatigue isn't even the right word. I, I, it's just like the wrong word. I don't know what the right word is, but that doesn't cover it. So my husband and I kind of have a system. Like on any given day, I feel like I've been hit by a car, a bus, or a train. So a good day, I feel like I've been hit by a car. Most days, it's a bus or a train. So what that how that translates in my life is um, I'm pretty much housebound unless someone comes and gets me out because I can't drive out of my neighborhood except to my bus, the bus stop to get the kids um, because the stimulation of all the cars around me and the movement um, just kind of messes with my cognition a bit. Plus the exhaustion, the fatigue, um, my eyes always wanna close. So that, that feels scary to me um, to get in the car and, and risk something happening. Um, you know, prior to getting sick, I walked my dog. I played in the yard with my kids. We went on bike rides together. We went love to go on hikes together. I was a rock climber, a runner, a cyclist. Um, as you know from previous interviews, athlete all my life. And now I walk very slowly, very slowly to the point that um, People will ask me if I need a wheelchair or I need an elevator or I need, you know, some type of assistance. And in the beginning, the first six months, it was the effort of just getting to the mailbox and back. And now, you know, I can go a little further, maybe the length of two or three houses and back. Um, but any amount of walking, any amount of effort, um, whether that's mental, physical, 
emotional. Um, it just like push it, it, it will push, it'll like saturate me and I will crash. So a crash can render me completely non-functional for hours, days over Christmas. It was a week more. I will need help walking. I will not be able to walk on my own without a wall or the support of somebody else. And my words will start coming out all weird. Um, so this is just very disabling. It's very disabling. And I just can't believe like I'm here right now sharing this about my life. Like it's, it's, it's very hard to comprehend that this is real. Um, I have a lot, I do experience depression and anxiety and they are also, you know, byproducts of, of, of coat, like the long COVID, but they're also a result of this experience I'm going through. And I have so much grief, uh, just like tidal waves of grief, just, you know, wash me away at times. Things are complicated. It's like, if we're gonna go somewhere, we have to know where I can be dropped off. And is there a bench? And how far does mommy have to walk? And how do we go to a restaurant? Because the noise now and the activity around me will, like my nervous system just can't, can't hold it. So that's just like a glimpse of, of it. I'm very blessed. I do not have organ damage. I know a lot of long haulers are dealing with organ damage and some very severe side effects. I'm not saying mine aren't severe, but I'm just saying um, there's, it, it can look a very different way than what my version looks like. I'm going to ask a question. And one of the things that we know about eating disorders is it's actually a misperception that it's always about control, right? So everyone thinks eating disorders is just about control, controlling your body. And yes and no, that's a, that's a small piece of it. That's a part. Given this scenario where you have, and forgive me for being so blunt, lost control of your body, of your energy, of your cognition, of your ability to be in a crowded place, along with, as you said, you are homebound, which adds to depression, anxiety, isolation. Have any eating disorder symptoms come up? If yes, how do you navigate through? What, what's, the, what's the process? And if no, how do, you, how do you navigate through? What's the process? It's, a, it's such an important question. At the longer this goes on, like in the recent months, I've noticed these thoughts just kind of showing up that I haven't heard in a long time. Um, recovery, going through the recovery process and all of that healing work and all of my yoga studies, I, I think if I hadn't gone through that and gained the strength I did from that, this I don't even know where I'd be right now. So going through the recovery process, right? I've learned how to pay attention to my body in a kind way, right? I've learned how to listen. I've learned how to pay attention to sensations. 
I might not like what I hear. I might not like that I don't have any energy, but I know how to listen, to notice that. Like I know how to notice myself, right? I know that giving in to any behaviors will not help the situation. Like going hungry right now is not the answer. As much as I might have a moment where because I have what's called an invisible illness, right? And there can be these moments of like, I need, I need the world to see me, right? And so my brain goes like, oh, we know how to do that. It's like, no way in hell. No, uh-uh, no. That is not the answer. Like, how is being hungry going to help my energy, right? So that's, that's the dialogue I have with myself when they show up. The other dialogue I have is, first of all, my work. You know, I support others in recovery. And I've had to give up so much. My identity has been transformed in many ways. I cannot lose my work. This is like, this feeds my soul. This makes me feel like me, my work, supporting my clients and, and doing what I do. Um, and if I'm not taking care of myself, I have no business asking other people to do that. So when the temptation arises, I remember my work and my clients and, and, and above all, I remember my family and my children. You know, they're, they now have a mother who me, right? This is who I am right now. And we don't know how long that's going to be. And to add that layer of an eating disorder would be, it, it would be, I, I can't even comprehend like how that would affect my family. You know, when I, the relapse you, you, you mentioned, my children were very young, you know, they were turning three and one, they have no recollection. Well, they're turning 11 and nine next month. They see everything. So these are my motivations when those thoughts just kind of start coming in and I know why they're showing up and that's where my power is, right? I know why they show up when they do because I'm overwhelmed, because I'm depressed, because I am grieving, because I want to walk my dog and I can't, because I want to go drive myself to the coffee shop and I can't, because I want to go to the beach and I I'm going to need a wheelchair to get down the boardwalk. Like I know when that comes in, it's a message. It's letting me know, Jennifer, you are suffering and you're sad. And, you know, let's, let's feel that sadness instead of starting down a path that is such a slippery slope. This is probably the million dollar question, but how would you guide somebody who came to you with a similar experience, but either A, has not experienced recovery, so they're still in their eating disorder, and B, I, I know I didn't have any passions when I was in my eating disorder. My eating disorder was my passion. And so, you know, when you're talking about like you have these, your, your, your work and the clients and, and then I'm thinking, what would it be like if we didn't, if somebody doesn't have that? So, and again, million dollar question. These are big questions I'm throwing at you, but do you have any thoughts? 
So someone with, with long COVID and an eating disorder, but isn't necessarily as far as in the recovery end of things. Yes. You know, I have to think about it. Um, as, as one of their support people, you know, I'd be making, I'd be talking with them about who is their team? Who do they have on their team professionally? Who's on their team, you know, family or friend or peer? Where, what communities are they in, are they in or willing to join, right? So I'd want to bolster their support network and their support system. I want, I would want to support them in insulating themselves with all the support and like-minded people and, you know, yeah, like community. That's, I think, what I would want to focus in on Um, because I think for myself, and I know, I know you know this too, as a therapist, right? So much healing happens when we feel seen and heard, you know, um, we don't feel seen and heard when we're living in an eating disorder. We don't necessarily want to be seen and heard, right? So trying to find ways to help help people feel seen and heard. The, the question I'm going to ask you, it applies to all eating disorders across the board, whether it's anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder. So I don't want it to, I always want to make sure that we're bringing everything in. My question is, is have you lost your appetite, your taste, your smell? And has that added to anything? Because that, that in and of itself can affect anybody. I am so grateful to say I never lost my taste and smell. I know others with eating disorders and in the recovery world who had COVID and did lose their taste and smell and boy, did that mess with them. And I, I have so much compassion. I can't even imagine what that would be like. Um, I did, and I still do have kind of a not very strong appetite. And you know how you develop those kind of like, you get sick and then like things just stop sounding good. So the thought of certain things still gag me. I've been able to find, find the rhythm and find, find the foods that, that do agree and do, don't cause me to want to gag. Um, and it's not an eating disorder thing. It's just that like natural response that happens sometimes after you've been sick, mm-hmm. right? Um, cause I, in the beginning I had a lot of nausea, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of nausea. Um, and even now, if all the symptoms kind of intense, you know, as, as they grow more and more and more and more and more intense throughout the day or the week or whatever an event, um, the nausea will kick back in. So I do, I do struggle with that a bit. Are there any parts of what you're experiencing? Do they mimic how you felt when you're in your eating disorder? And is that triggering? And I'll I'll give you an example of what I mean. I sometimes get a visceral reaction if 
I have gone too long without eating and I am really hungry. And all of a sudden, like I can feel certain pains in my body. If I say work through lunch and I can't have lunch till like two o'clock, which is pushing it for me, I get that those feelings. And I, I suddenly I get achy. I get, and, and it's a visceral reaction where it reminds me how awful I felt in my eating disorder. Does any of this mimic how you felt? Yeah, you know, not that I've ever noticed. Not that I've, I've ever been aware of. I do think, I think what's triggering me is now 18 months of not being able to move my body. <laughs> I was also going to say as an athlete, yeah. now I heard you choke up when you said, now I can maybe walk a few houses down. Yeah. That's how much it has impacted you. How is, what do you do with that? Yeah. I am devastated. I am. It's funny, you know, I, for a while I would, you know, walk out front a little bit over at lunchtime. I would get myself outside and I would do my little walk and, you know, my gosh, like it's just so embarrassing. And lately I've stopped walking out front and I've been just walking in my backyard and I, this came out in ther- my with my therapist the other day. I, I'm now working with a therapist who specializes in chronic illness and grief. And that's been a really important uh, shift for me. Um, and just realizing like, I've been doing this for 18 months, not walking any faster or any further than I was a year ago. I don't want to be seen. Neighbors want to stop and talk and they're, lovely people, but this is what I hear. You look so good. You look so good. Or they ask how you're feeling and you're like, yeah, like, well, you look good. And we all know, right? We all know as people who've been through an eating disorder that those words just can really push buttons, right? And, um, and I can like not internalize it. I can just let it be what it is. But sometimes the repetition of that, or if it's on a really hard day, it's like, I don't, I don't want to hear that. Like that should make me feel better, but it doesn't. (laughs) And I don't want to have to explain to you that, well, how we look doesn't always reflect how we feel. Right. Um, So I, I, I just, I have a lot of difficulty with my lack of ability and I really do work on being grateful for the ability I have because I know that it could be worse. And so I don't want to disregard that truth. Um, so I do a little stretching on the days that I feel up to it. I try to take what I've learned through my yoga studies and, you know, make sure I do a little stretching and move my spine in all directions just for spinal health and nervous system health. And I try to do a little on the days I feel up to it, walking outside, sitting outside a lot. But, you know, I see my body changing. You know, first, I mean, I'm also getting older. So, you know, your skin just hangs differently, (laughs) right? And so there's got to be some process around that. But just not being able to move 
not being able to do the things that I love that bring me joy, that make me feel energized. And, you know, the, when the sun comes up in the morning and the sun's just like hitting the leaves a certain way, I, I just cry. I cry the grief in the morning because I love going for a run in the mornings um, or walking my dog. Um, the change of seasons, we went into spring. It was very difficult, right? Because now it's like things are coming back to life, right? And the neighborhood's filled with people walking and, you know, the kids are running around. Like there's just the activity and um, feel so separate from the world. You know, I go to, into a store. I can't even go into many stores. They too, they're too much for my nervous system. But, you know, you just feel very separate. It also makes me think of when we are constantly hearing in the news, we're heading back towards normalcy. Because for so many people, life will never be the same. And that also has to be a really hard thing for you to hear. It is. Thank you for saying that. It is. It's, it really um, like agitates me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, they talk about long COVID as being, you know, another whole pandemic, right? A study came out just a little bit ago that um, they estimate one in five people who have had COVID have lingering effects of some to some degree. And another study came out saying that vaccines don't protect people from long COVID. So, I mean, this is, this is serious. This is a serious issue. And right before our call, I was reading an article in the Washington Post about how long COVID is redefining dis the word disability. This is a massive problem. And I've been sick for, you know, over a year and a half, which feels like a lifetime for me, but for the medical and scientific communities, that's nothing, that's nothing. You know, they still have a long, they have their own long haul of research to do, yeah. How do you navigate through the grief? Because you've, you've said some really powerful words that, that I don't even know if those words do justice, but grief, crushing, debilitating. Yeah, the grief, boy, that's a, you know, because there's no closure, right? When we lose someone, not that the grief ends, but there's a, there's a closure that comes with that, right? No closure here. There's no no closure, but there's all this unknown of what will be and how long. And I just grieve. I just, I never, I mean, I'm 46 years old. I'm, I feel like I'm grieving my life. I feel, Karen, like, I feel like the best is behind me. My best years are behind me. And maybe that's female dramatic, but, um, even with my work, you know, like, thank God, goodness, I got that book written before I got sick. I needed help. I had to hire help finishing it because when the revisions came back, I was, I had just been sick and it would take me a half hour to write an email. There was no way I could go into a creative 
writing process and I still can't. I don't have the energy to do the things that I would have done if, you know, with a book, like I would have had book tours and all kinds of things set up and just enough energy to do a podcast interview, you know, every couple of weeks. So even professionally, you know, I'm not, I'm not where I would want to be, um, where I saw myself. Not that I'm doing bad. I'm not, I mean, I'm very blessed. I do great work. I know that great team. I know that. Um, but you know, like pictures are always scrolling downstairs on our, on our devices and gosh, it's like seeing pictures of myself, you know, on vacation with the kids or whatever we're doing. And I just look at that and I just, I, I her and I, God, I miss her. Like I miss her. You know, um, so it's, it's, it's a very, uh, the grief is cellular. It is in my cells. It runs deep. And I try to make sure that I'm also holding gratitude, right? Because uh, there are a lot of good things in my life. I know that. I'm, in, I'm, I'm going through this from a very privileged place. And I know that there are a lot of people who are not going through it. Um, financially stable. Um, they may be in a marginalized group and I can't even bear to comprehend what they're going through. Um, so I do try to hold grief and gratitude. Um, but I have moments where I think, I don't know if, if you're a Harry Potter fan. So sorry, I've never read or seen for the Harry Potter people out there, they will understand. And this, again, maybe melodramatic, but this is, this is what I think. If I could just wave a wand, do the Obliviate spell, and the people around me wouldn't even know I had ever existed, I could just kind of like disappear from their lives and they could move on and do, do their world because um, I feel, feel like I'm kind of a drag on the system. <laughs> system. Let me point something out. And you've said this twice and I'm going to challenge it. You have twice said, I don't mean to be melodramatic. Jennifer, what you are being is raw and vulnerable and courageous. That is not melodramatic. This is a life altering situation after you've already fought twice to recover from an eating disorder. That is not melodramatic. Is there any part of you that's like, God damn it, fought so hard twice to recover from my eating disorder. And now Look what's happening. And I'm sorry if that's an is that insensitive, Jennifer? No, I, this is no, this is real for me. And this this is this is the the point for me. When I went into treatment for my when I had the relapse, I went in there and I remember saying out loud multiple times, I do not want to be a chronically ill mother. I do not want to be an out of treatment. I do not want to put my children through that. I do not want to be a chronically ill mother. And I put my mind to it. And I knew I had a say in how that 
would go. Doesn't mean, I mean, it was hard as hell. I wanted to give up hundreds of times. I was on the brink of crisis for months after I got out of treatment, right? So yeah, like that was real. That fight was real, but I knew if I did the steps I needed to do, if I showed up in the way I needed to show up, if I stayed committed, I had a say in that outcome. And so now I'm chronically a mother and I have no say in this outcome. I can do my part, you know, I'm doing my keeping up with the research, I'm going to acupuncture, I'm doing some other holistic things, I'm keeping on top of blood work, I'm talking to the doctors I need to talk to, even though they're pretty useless. Um, I'm doing my part, but I don't have say. And I think that is the, that's the pain. That's my pain. I, I almost just feel like I want to pause for a minute to just, just honor what you've been through. Listeners also do not know that today, while we are doing this interview, you are having a very very difficult day with chronic illness. And I said to you, should we reschedule this? Do we need to do this another time? I'm happy to, I, the first thing I said to you is, are you feeling okay? Cause you have the tissues and you're wiping and I can see the energy is, is a little depleted. And I just, I just want to hold such a sacred space for you, Jennifer, on so many levels. And I, I just don't think people understand until they're listening to this. This is a moment by moment feeling. You, your, your, your body, your strength, your energy, your, your nervous system is, you, you have no way of predicting. And that, that's got to be terrifying because like you said, you have no control over this. We can book a podcast interview, you know, a month in advance, and we have no idea how you're going to feel. How do you get through these days when, like, these days are really difficult? Like, say today, I this is an odd question, but, like, what are you going to do the rest of the day? Is there something you can do to take care of yourself? And by the way, work might be what takes care of you, or do you sleep? Like, what what do you do? So I've kind of developed these like little touchstones in the day to keep me feeling present and purposeful and um, like, like myself. So, you know, the morning it's helping my kids get ready for school. And even though that is, and so that's exhausting. So then they leave and then I rest for an hour. We, we know I might sit outside or just be still. Um, and then I try to start my work day and I try to be disciplined and not overbook myself. Um, but I do a little bit in the morning and then I, I have a lunch break where, you know, obviously eat lunch, take, take my little walk around the yard. And my, my routine is I pick up 
the poop in the backyard from the dog, right? So that sounds funny, but it's, okay, this is something I can do. This is helping my husband. There's one less thing he has to do. It gives me purpose in this moment. It makes me feel capable. Um, so I have my little lunch <laughs> and then I, I work a little bit more in the afternoon break before my kids get home because then it's the evening, right? And so it's a lot of planning around meals and how do we make things that have leftovers so that I'm not on my feet and having to cook every night. Um, how do we simplify basically the day? Um, and so the way I get through the day for good or ill is on a adrenaline. Um, you know, I just, I can feel it. It, it turns on. I mean, I'm mom, I'm the mom here. Like I have young kids, like a house we got, I got a business, like I got to keep moving. Um, so I, um, and then, and then the evenings it's, you know, it's game over. And, and, and I, I relax with my family a little bit and I'm in bed by eight. Um, some of that, you know, sometimes I think you're doing too much. That's pushing. That's, 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 that's more than you should be doing. Um, but I'm not, I'm not okay to just sit around and rest all day. I just, I just think for my mental health, it wouldn't serve me. It's very hard to find the right balance of things to do and not do. And this is where going through recovery has been helpful because I do have the tools to be able to check in with myself, you know, and to, to listen to my body and, and try to sense like, what is my capacity right now? I'm not always good at listening, but at least I know how to check in. So I won't, so to answer your question, I won't, probably won't nap, but I will spend some time sitting outside. I will cry um, and I'll reach out to a friend if I need to. Um, I'll work a little bit and just get to bedtime. <laughs> that that sort of reminds me what my life was like in my eating disorder. I was just getting through the day to get to bedtime. And my eating disorder, whether it was behaviors or thoughts or rituals, were like long fillers for the day just to go to bed because I had nothing else in my life. Yes. So for me, it's, you know, when you wake up and after an hour awake, you feel like you've already put in a full day and you still have the whole day to go. It's, yeah, it is that mentality of like, all right, how am I going to fill this day? How am I going to make it to bedtime? And that's why those touchstones, right? Like the morning routine with the kids, the morning, the afternoon routine at lunch, the after school routine, the, they give me these connections to moving through the day and help me feel like I'm, I'm serving my family. You know, like I haven't completely just zombied out because if I'm not engaged in some way, I do just kind of zombie out. I don't want to, I just, not okay. I'm sorry that we're coming to an end. And at the same time, I also want to respect that this must be exhausting for you. So in that matter, I'm actually glad 
that we are coming to an end. Before we do, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would like to share with listeners? Anything at all? Just that if anybody wants to reach out who's, you know, going through a similar experience or looking for support, you know, feel free to, to do so. You can email me. Um, I'm, I'm very happy to connect. I cannot thank you enough for, as I said earlier, your courage, your vulnerability, your truth. And as you know, my heart is always with you, Jennifer. I, I feel very honored to have the relationship that I do with you. And spiritually, I will, I will always be there. Thank you so very, very much. Thank you again for such a powerful episode. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. That does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next time. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Recovery Bites Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast sign up to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.